0: Turn in the Word of God to the letter of James, to James chapter 4, and we're reading from the first verse. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something but don't get it. You kill and covet but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that the spirit he causes to live in us envies intensely? But he gives us more grace. That's why the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy But you, who are you to judge your neighbour? Now, listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will do this or that, go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. What are you planning to do this afternoon? There will be many answers, of course, to that. What are you planning to do this week? I have a diary made up for the week but no doubt it will be reshuffled in some ways before that many days are past what do you plan to do this year next year some planning of course is necessary in life if we're not to descend into chaos and never get anything done we need to plan ahead of course young people especially need to be thinking ahead plans for studies for career for work and it seems when you're younger of course you've all the time in the world bible doesn't condemn planning but we need to be sure as christians that we're planning in a way that's consistent with our faith and james turns our thoughts that at the end of the fourth chapter of his letter. We're looking at verses 13 to 17, boasting about tomorrow and giving us godly advice about how we think ahead and how we plan life. James sets before us first of all here a foolish plan, a foolish plan. Uh, James seems to have businessmen, merchants, in view, in particular, in these verses, and they have got a big business plan, now, of course, if you 're in business, especially if you 're going to go to a bank and look for uh, financial support. you have to have a business plan uh, you 'll get nowhere if you don 't have one. Well, here are people who certainly have a business plan. Today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. That's how they are viewing uh, the future for themselves uh, in their particular line of work as businessmen, as merchants of some kind. Now there is nothing wrong in the light of scripture with conducting honest business and making a fair profit in some Christian circles it does seem almost there's a suspicion of those who have money of those who are successful in life the kind of outlook that thinks to itself well they can't be doing it honestly and that's not a biblical outlook the Bible encourages us to use our gifts and our opportunities. We're remiss, in fact, if we don't. Whatever those particular opportunities and gifts might be. Uh, And for some of the Lord's people, uh, they are gifts that will result uh, in profit, in wealth in this world's terms. Uh, And in the Bible, there were those who were wealthy people. Abraham, uh, Job uh, were very wealthy people. So the Bible doesn't condemn having possessions, it doesn't exalt poverty as a good thing in itself. And sometimes Christians have been mistaken in adopting those outlooks. So to think ahead and to plan how to use your gifts and opportunities, uh, make a profit if you were in business, the scriptures don't uh, condemn that in any way. But when you look at the plan uh, that these people have and you read it, something's missing. Something is missing in their plan for the future. Well, no, someone is missing in their plan for the future. They're laying their plans without any reference to God and to God's will. He is being left out of the picture entirely. Indeed, it seems as you listen to them that perhaps their chief concern maybe their only concern is making money and doing well and amassing a profit. And that connects with what James has been saying in earlier verses in the chapter. You see, sometimes as you read the letter of James, You might be inclined to think well James deals with one topic and then he jumps to an entirely different topic and they're not connected but actually they are connected. James connects the topics very carefully because the people here that we're listening to, listening to their plans, are people who have failed to draw near to God The very thing that James writes about in verse 8 that we were thinking about last time. They haven't drawn near to God and so they're going ahead into the future not thinking of God and not taking into account the fact that there is a sovereign God. They're not close to God. It seems indeed in some ways they're, they're quite a distance from him. You might be inclined uh, to wonder, are they people who really know the Lord? In fact, they may be, but certainly they're not close to Him. They haven't drawn near. Well, of course, most of us are not in business. We might be inclined to say, well, that has nothing really to do with me. Fine for somebody else, but it doesn't really relate to where. I am. And yet surely there's a principle behind what James is saying that does apply to all of us. Because there is always a danger of planning and thinking ahead without reference to God and to God's will and to God's purposes. We can slip into that carelessly sometimes. Sometimes we can leave God's sovereign control and God's will entirely out of account. Jesus gives us a good example of someone who did that, of course, and that's the rich fool in his parable in Luke chapter 12. And there was a man who appeared, we might say, to have it made, who had all he needed and far more than he needed. He was tearing down his barns to build bigger ones. He was doing really well. And he felt he could sit back and he could take it easy because the future was secure. But he's planning as if the future were in his hands. And the Lord's verdict on him for doing that was, you fool." He was a fool, and a fool we know in the Bible often is a spiritual term. It's not uh, someone who's lacking in education or, or intellect. A fool in the Bible is someone who doesn't know how to live in God's world, recognizing God's place in it, God's sovereignty. And he was a fool because he laid all his plans and yet left God entirely out of account. And we can do that sometimes. We might profess to believe in the sovereignty of God. And we might be able to talk theologically about the sovereignty of God. And the different debates and arguments that there have been uh, about the sovereignty of God. It is a deep uh, and it is a difficult subject. And I hope you love to discuss it. But you could be able to do all of that and sound very profound and be very theological and yet in practice leave God out of account and live as if he really didn't matter. Perfectly possible to do that. Yet James as always is very direct very start, Verse 16, all such boasting is evil. He's saying it is sinful folly to live in a way that leaves God out of account. Living as if God doesn't matter, as if he's really not involved in our lives. And there are people like that. They will believe there's a God. If you ask them, they would say, yes, I believe in God. But he's not a God who actually intervenes in this world, who governs and directs it. Not a God who's involved in the day-to-day realities of life. For a Christian to have that attitude is a serious matter. Christians can do it. And sometimes even we pray about decisions, don't we? Must pray about it. And perhaps we do. And yet, how often when we pray is our mind actually really made up already? And you know what you're going to do. And what you're doing when you pray is actually asking God to rubber stamp what you've decided. You're not asking the Lord to give you wisdom. Or to make the path clear. You know where you want to go. You know what you want to do. And you're asking God to say yes. And to stamp his approval. On what you've decided. We're not really praying sometimes. when we think we are. And others may think we are. And Sometimes Christians might be praying. About what direction to go. And the truth is. That the Lord would have to put a barricade across the road ahead of them to stop them because that's the way they're going and that's the only way the Lord would stop them they're determined to go their own way as we said planning and thinking and praying for wisdom and for direction all those are right and proper for Christians nothing wrong in any of that. but we've got to ask what are the values and the beliefs that should guide us in doing that? What should our attitude be as Christians as we think ahead and plan ahead? That's really James' concern. Here are people who are leaving God entirely out of account and the result is a foolish plan. Then James develops that thought and he's seeking to help us as believers. To think in a godly way about the future, about our life ahead of us. And so, secondly, uh, James reminds us of a frail life, a frail life. The foolishness of making assumptions about the future without reference to God is exposed in verse 14. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. How you know that is the case? God may dispose events in his providence in a way that we could never have envisaged. And the fact is, our ignorance about the future is complete. Unless God has given a revelation about something in the future that we know it's absolutely certain That Christ will return one day. He's told us that. But outside of that, uh, the future is a complete mystery to us. Uh, And we don't have any control over it. We don't know what it's going to be. Proverbs 27.1 You do not know what a day may bring forth. Now, of course, there's a sense in which that is good. It's good that we don't see far ahead. The Lord is gracious in not giving us farsight. Because then there are many things that don't burden us until the time comes to deal with them. Matthew 6.34, Jesus says, Each day has enough trouble of its own. The older translation maybe we're familiar with, sufficient on to the day. It's the evil thereof. And it's good the Lord doesn't tell us more than he does. And the Bible condemns attempts to to read the future and read the mind of God. We can't do that. And life is a very frail thing. What is your life, James asks us, and the answer is sobering. You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. And we know that's the case. As we go on in life, we become more aware that life is a mist. You get up in the morning, perhaps, and it's foggy. You look out. You can't see far into the distance. Then the sun comes up. The mist's gone. Where'd it go? It's gone very quickly. And James reminds us that, at best, life is an insubstantial, brief thing, even at its longest extent in this world. Significant how often that's a theme in the scriptures. We must remember that life is brief. It's easier, of course, when you're young. Some of you are. Almost to think you're immortal and you'll always be here and there'll always be time. There'll always be time to do things. And as we go on then, uh, we realize more and more that in fact, often there isn't time. Part of growing older uh, is coming to terms with the fact there isn't going to be time to do some things. And they've got to select, and they've got to plan, just as we've been saying. Each man's but a breath, Psalm 39, 11. Again, that imagery of a breath and a mist Something that's so brief and gone so quickly. Uh, and we need to reckon with the brevity and the frailty of life. Comparison to the eternity of God, life is very short. Even the Lord grants a hundred years, as he does to a few. And yet it's still so brief. And we need To reckon with that. That helps to keep life in its proper perspective. As Christians to remember we need to see life in the light of eternity. And in the light of the sovereignty of God. And we're foolish if we don't do that. Yes, life is frail. And James reminds us very directly of that fact. Foolish plan and a frail life. So what's the what's the implication of that? What conclusions should we draw? Well, thirdly, James speaks of a reverent attitude. A reverent attitude. If it is foolish to plan without reference to God, and if we need to keep in mind that life is very short, even at its longest extent in this world. How should we as believers be living? In particular, how should we as Christians plan? Because we've said planning of itself isn't sinful. It is wise to plan ahead, to seek to make good decisions when we have opportunity. None of that is wrong biblically. And indeed planning ahead can bring pleasure and looking ahead to things. And again there's nothing unbiblical in any of that. But how should we do it if it's our attitude that's crucial? How are we to look ahead and plan and think of the future? And James gives us the answer in verse 15. You ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will do this or that. If it's the Lord's will. If the wrong way to think ahead and to plan is to leave God out of account, the right way is to take God into account and realize that he is involved in every moment of life. And we're to take account of his sovereignty in our planning, in our looking ahead, in our thinking about the future and about you as young folk particularly, thinking ahead to to career, to studies, to work. What would the Lord have me to do? That's the reverent attitude that as Christians ought to characterise us. That'll set us apart, of course, and from everybody else around us who's, who's living, really, in the end, for themselves, for success, for profit, for a career, all sorts of things they're living for. You know that. As a Christian, you will be profoundly different if you adopt this reverent attitude that takes God into account in life, and all the details in life in which God is involved. You know, we may leave him out of account, but he's still there. We may not think about his role, but he's still sovereign. He's still involved in every moment of life. And so we're to make our plans with an awareness that God may overrule, God may change circumstances, Plans may not be carried out. Plans may have to be adjusted. The direction in which we thought he was taking us may not be. And he may take us in his providence in a very different direction. And a reverent attitude will be willing to submit to whatever his providence brings. It may not be the direction in which we thought he was taking us. It may not be the direction in which we thought we were going. And yet, by God's grace, we need a submissive spirit to whatever providence brings to us. And that will shape our whole outlook on life as Christians. It will include how we pray in particular. Our whole outlook will be shaped by a recognition God is sovereign. Now, we can't read his mind, thankfully. We can't peer uh, into the plan of God and see ahead. That's closed to us and it always will be. But our role is to submit to the providence of God, recognizing that he may overrule. He may overrule in unexpected ways. Submitting to the providence of God. It was once uh, common among Christians uh, to add after perhaps uh, an announcement, something like that, DV, God willing. That seems to be disappearing very much in Christian circles. Now, of course, DV could become just a, a knee jerk. You're stuck in the end of something without really seriously thinking about it. It could be just an empty form of words. We know that. But at its best, it was a recognition that God might overrule. I remember announcements. I was growing up in Port Rush. uh would be given the following announcements or subject To the sovereign will of God. It was George McEwen's way of. Starting the announcements. And it wasn't an empty form of words. I know it wasn't. And it was a recognition. That God may overrule. And may change. Our direction. Paul. That was an example. Of that. Acts 18. Verse 21. I will come back. If it is the Lord's will. That's an apostle speaking. I will come back if it is the Lord's will. And Paul understood it might not be. It might not be. And he submitted to that. You see a practical example of the Lord changing the apostles' plans in evangelism. Acts 16 and verse 6 having been kept by the Spirit of God from preaching the word in the province of Asia, then they went in another direction. I don't know how exactly God, by the Spirit, kept them from going to Asia. Was it a vision? I I don't know. But the Lord changed Paul's plans. He was going one way, and the Lord said, no, he closed the door and took them another way. And of course, sometimes, indeed quite often, God changes the plans by providentially closing doors. And you can't go one way and you have to go another way. So the apostles experienced that. Often it is circumstances that overrule our planning and our thinking about the future. It may be, that again, as you're growing up, you're sitting exams and sometimes your exam results will make decisions for you you haven't found that out, you might find it out as you go on. And sometimes they might not be the decisions you hoped for if the results aren't up to scratch. And yet sometimes that is how the Lord changes our direction. It's not wrong to pray in this way. You see, there are Christians who will tell you if you really trust God, you won't say, if you are willing. If you have faith, you will claim whatever it is you believe you should have. And they will tell you to say, well, if the Lord wills, is a lack of faith. No, it isn't. It's a statement of faith, not a lack of faith. If the Lord wills, and submission to His providence. What did the Lord Jesus pray in Luke 22 42? Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. How can it be a lack of faith to pray, Lord, if you are willing? Can we say if it was good enough for Christ, it's good enough for us? If you are willing. And we do not often know. It doesn't mean we're lacking in faith. The name it and claim it that some Christians have bought into is nonsense. And it is utterly unbiblical. If you are willing, is a statement of faith and submission to a sovereign God. All our plans must be made in that spirit. We don't stop planning. We don't for a moment say, Well, I don't know what the future will bring, so I'll make no provision for it and I'll not plan anything. That's not a God honoring course. But we plan and we think in a prayerful, submissive spirit to the will of God. As children of God, we are sure of his loving care. And we know that he will dispose events for his glory and for our growth and grace. Ever unclear that might be at times to us. But we can rest in that. And if the Lord turns us in a different direction, he's not making a mistake. Because the Lord makes no mistakes. Sometimes it's easier to say that than at others. We know that. Sometimes it's hard to say that. But it doesn't stop being true. And in his providence, the Lord will lead us and guide us and direct us in what he knows is the best path. A reverent attitude. We need grace to submit. But we can have that grace. And so at the very end of the chapter, just in a final word, there's an important principle as James pulls it all together. Verse 17, Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it sins. Pretty often we focus of course on sins as things that we do that are wrong and of course those are sins. But that's only half the story. We can neglect to do the good we should. The sins of omission as well as the sins of commission. And so it is with these merchants to go back to where we started. Going on with life, overlooking the necessity of acknowledging God and God's sovereignty and God's role. Maybe they're making their profit just for their own advantage. They're leaving God out of account. They're failing. They're failing in how they're planning. They're failing to take God into their reckoning. And we mustn't fail in that way. We must live in recognition that God is sovereign. And His providence does govern all things in life. And that we have that reverent submissive spirit. That as we go forward, we know the Lord is in control. Thankfully he is. And we submit to whatever his will and his providence bring to us and he will do all things well and he will have the glory